Welcome to Archetypes and Anarchy, a podcast created by me, Courtney Floyd, and my Introduction to Fiction students at the University of Oregon in spring of 2018. Episode 24, Part 3, Write Yourself into the Story. In this episode, students will be taking what they've learned about fairy tales and fiction throughout the term, and in the spirit of Shauna McGuire's indexing, literally writing themselves into a fairy tale. To do so, they will be identifying Arne Thompson tale types and archetypes that already fit with some aspect of their lives, whether it's them being the youngest child, or having blonde hair, or owning a pair of glass shoes, uh, whatever the case may be. I suspect that this will be a very rewarding way to close out both our podcasts and the term, and I can't wait to hear what students have come up with. Thank you all so much for listening along with us as we went on this intro to fiction podcasting adventure, and from my class to you, we wish you all happily ever after. This is Atlas of Sorrow doing the Write Yourself into a Story. I am Bjorn Esposito. This is my story. It was my 20th birthday, a quiet affair, because I just moved to a new city. My fourth in the last year. You may ask why I moved so much. Some say a thirst for adventure, but in reality it was a lottery. Every city seemed a new opportunity to meet someone or try something that would change my life in the way that I had always wished. On the morning of September 18th, I woke to my alarm playing a soft piano tune, a lovely tune, if it did not associate with the end of my enchanted sleep. My phone began to ring. At first, there was a spark of excitement. Birthday wishes? I thought to myself. Hello, I answered with a fake yawn to mask my mounting excitement. Bjorn. We need your help at work right now, a shrill voice shot back. I heard this voice and felt ice hit my stomach. Then worry came. What had happened? Why are they calling me in on a Sunday on my birthday? And why had I expected that someone I barely knew had known my birthday? Dressing in a hurry, without checking my reflection, I ran to the store I had begun to love working at. Lentil as anything. An exclusively vegan restaurant. As I rounded into the front door, skidding to a stop, my beautiful manager, Frederica Salvatore, looked grim. Bjorn, we need your help with two things. First, we need you to move the car that double-parked me in. Oh yes, I forgot to say apart from my unique name. I was also one of the strongest people in the world. One could say it was my superpower or my magic gift. Possibly born from the torment of my childhood, bully or jabbing at my name, I found a love for the gym and fitness. Veganism came next, and before I knew it, I was a 5 foot 10 inches and 400 pounds of muscle. Those kids who gave me hell never looked bad at me ever again. I heard a snap. Bjorn, come back to me. Secondly, I'm really sorry to say, but our restaurant is going out of business. We do not have enough money to keep going because our kale farmer has raised the price 100 times. And the only way she will sell kale for a reasonable price is if you bring her a diamond plow. As the weight of the statement fell over me, I felt sorrow like no other before. And then I remembered those days in primary school. I had been a person of action then, and I would do the same this time. 
Frederica, I will save this restaurant. After I'd moved the car, I ventured to my house, got my protein shake and the map that I did not recognize from my kitchen table. The kale farmer, Mrs. Kanker, lived in the hills. It was a long journey, but I did 10K every morning, so it seemed manageable. However, before I'd gotten far, I decided to consult my map. As I unfolded the delicate parchment, the words, Atlas of the World, showed through. Finally, when it was unfolded, I looked down and began reading. It did not make sense. All the roads were going the wrong way. It almost looked like a fingerprint. And right before I decided to toss the map out, a quiet but decisive voice rang out. I am here to help you, but you must listen and follow my instructions. Do not go to Mrs. Kanker's farm. Head straight to the top of the mountain and speak to the elders. They have the treasure you need. Shock pulsated through my toned body. My confused brain felt an urge to listen, then came sense. This was a map. It could not talk. I do not know what you mean, but I am not crazy, as I threw the map into the air, only to see it get caught by a gust and fly straight towards the mountain peak. After two days' light jog, I finally reached Mrs. Kanker's farm. After explaining that I was there to get the diamond plow, she said her neighbor, Mr. Stelton, had stolen it. I went over to his farm two miles further up the mountain, and there it was, gleaming in the sun. I decided to try to take it and run. I sprinted and jumped his fence. Once I reached my prize, I heard a click. Mr. Stelton had a gun to my bulging back. Back off my plow. Now, I will give this to you. But you must go to the little village at the top of the hill and get me their diamond auger. He sneered under his breath. Without thinking twice, I squirmed and croaked my answer. Yes. After the shave with death, this dire journey seemed like a quest. Not one I had picked willingly, but one I was thrown into and told to deal with. The village on top of the mountain was a three days walk, but I managed to run it in one. I remember hearing the clock ticking as the restaurant I loved so much was slowly but surely running out of kale. This desolate small village showed signs of neglect, and the people mulling about seemed extremely downtrodden. This time, I learned my lesson. I marched to City Hall and announced I wanted their diamond auger. The city leader by the name of Nover cackled. The only way you can get that prize is if you rid this town from our menace. A shudder passed through his spine. Starting to feel annoyed at the slew of jobs that I was being given, I asked, trying to keep resentment from my voice. What is this menace and how can I help? The city leader croaked. A wicked fox is stealing all of our food and everyone is starving. With that, I went further on the mountain and found the fox's lair. I entered the lair as I crept through the frozen tunnel towards my quarry. I saw something I thought I would never see again. The atlas of the world lay perfectly folded and dry on the ground. As I approached further into the cave, it screamed, Pick me up! I have information for you! Now! You can see that I was right about the village. Listen closely, for you are being tricked. The city leader will not give you the auger. The only way to win your quest is to take the city elders hostage. This time, fed up with all the instruction, I listened. In the dead of night, I snuck into Mountain Acres, the home for elders, and carried them all to the top of the mountain four at a time. Finally, when the deed was done, I was ready to go deliver my ransom, when an old man by the name of Oldwin cackled and said, You know, mister, thank you. We haven't been outside for ages. You seem like a nice boy. Thank you for taking us on a field trip. But I miss my daughter now. At this, I felt overwhelming remorse. With sadness in my heart, I knew what I had to do. 
As I was about to leave Mountain Acres, all the elders returned. Old One said, You are pining for something, and the only way us elders can help you in the way you helped us is to give you these bonds. Old One handed me a hundred stacks of bonds, each worth $10,000. Do not catch them until you turn 18, young man, croaked Old One with a feeble giggle. I was euphoric. The three-day journey took me two hours going downhill. I bought Mrs. Kanker's farm on the way and arrived back at what was to be my new restaurant, Bjorn's Bountiful Legumes, and much more. Frederica, shocked with glee, declared her love for me, and right before we lived happily ever after, the atlas of the world I'd forgotten in my back pocket yelled out, Bjorn, please, I have helped you, now you must help me. Burn me, please. Bjorn, feeling in debt, answered the plea, and as soon as the map was burnt completely, his old childhood bully arose. Bolsom. The bully who haunted his adolescent ears declared, Bjorn, I'm so sorry. I want to be your best friend. And they lived happily ever after. Reflecting back on uh, the story that I just read, um, I decided to use two fairy tales. I decided to use the golden bird, and I decided to use um, the pied piper as well. Um, my story goes astray from those in a few places. Um, instead of killing the fox, uh, in my story, he left it be, while in the Pied Piper, he ended up, um, ridding the city of rats while not being paid. But they both had the same, um, issue because the city leaders, uh, refused to pay. So I decided that that was going to be one of my conflicts, but a more moral ending, um would follow where he were to return the elders and get the prize that he wanted in the end. And then uh, my story also differed from the golden bird in first the helper. The helper was a map. It was an uh, object instead of an animal, which is not something that you see very much in uh, classic fairy tale types, but I think it also kind of tallies with our day and age more so. We don't put as much reliance on animals as uh, objects nowadays. And uh, lastly, there was only two obstacles he had to get past, and obviously diamond instead of gold. But just small changes like that. Of course, um, I wanted to keep the happily ever after, just because that it's that's what fairy tales are. They're they're a, a vice. They're a way to see a happier life for the person uh, reading. So I wanted to show uh, Bjorn um, winning his quest in the end. But um, this has been my Write Yourself Into a Story, Atlas signing off. Once upon a time, there was a man named Alexander. Alexander embodied the winter months of urban life, both inside and out. His personality was habitual, straightforward, and calculated. His complexion consisted of pale skin and hair as dark as the crows perched outside his window. He stood at the window, observing the falling rain and surrounding buildings. He notices his cat, Buster, rubbing against his leg, kneels down, and says, And what do you need this time, Buster? Food? With a meow and flick of his tail, Buster prances for his food bowl. Buster was more than a cat. He reminded him of a life that had slipped through his fingertips. About six months prior, Alexander felt like he was perched on top of the world. He had been working on a startup project with his college roommates Brad, Eric, and Vincent. They had a truly innovative product on the brink of production. One day, Alexander returned to the office to finalize the following weeks of work. 
When he entered, he found the office empty. Every document, model, and prototype was gone. Alexander, Brad, and Eric were dumbfounded by the string of unfortunate events while Vincent was nowhere to be found. As it turned out, Vincent had stolen all the plans, started his own business, and became successful on the backs of his former co-workers. Now that all of this had set in, Alexander said to himself, How am I going to make this right? Vincent cannot get away with this. Buster meowed and pranced up to Alex, dropping a sheet of paper that read, If you buy me some shoes, I may be able to help you. Perplexed, but overwhelmed with determination to unravel the truth, Alexander left to have some shoes made for his cat. Later that day, Alex came home with a tiny pair of shiny white sneakers for Buster. Buster slipped into them, walking around the room, then darted out the window, down the fire escape, into the street below. A day passed, and Buster was nowhere to be seen. Alex was beginning to doubt his cat's ability, in addition to his own sanity. What am I doing? There's no way a cat can prove my case again. He was cut off by the sound of a scratching against his apartment door. He opened the door, and Buster slipped through and onto the couch with a stack of papers in his mouth. Buster dropped the papers on the coffee table and meowed. Alex peered over the documents and was surprised to see that they were a string of emails between Vincent and an associate of his. They outlined his plans to rob Alex of his ideas and launch a company on his own. There were even exact copies of the product schematics and pictures of prototypes, the ones Alex, Brad, and Eric had worked so hard to create. Initially, Alex was flooded with feelings of frustration, but those feelings grew into a sense of determination and purpose. He now knew what he had to do. He had to build a case against Vincent in court. He called his lawyer, outlining the information he now had in his possession. I think you have the start of a case, but Vincent will most likely argue that these documents have been forged. We need something more concrete if you want to ensure a settlement. How did you obtain these documents, said the lawyer. Hesitant to cite his cat's detective work, Alex said, I, I'll call you tomorrow with more information and hung up. What do we do now, Buster? As he had done before, Buster darted out the open window and down the fire escape, his shoes like ribbons of light on the street below. That night, as Alex was pondering what to do next, the phone rang. Hello? answered Alex. I know what you're doing, Alex. It won't work. Who is this? I think you know who this is. Vincent? The line disconnected, and Alex felt a chill roll down his spine. He no longer felt safe. He felt like he was being watched. In an attempt to get his mind off the thought of Vincent, he ordered Chinese food and put on a movie. Thirty minutes passed, and the food arrived. He tipped and thanked the delivery man and opened the styrofoam container of orange chicken and took a bite. As the chicken entered his mouth, he collapsed, falling forward, resting his head on the glass coffee table. He had been poisoned. Three days passed, and Alex had not moved from the cool glass of the table. On the third day, Buster returned. He hopped through the window and saw Alex collapse on the table. Concerned, he meowed and rubbed against his cold, pale skin. He knew he was in trouble. Being the clever creature he was, he saw the container of food beside his owner and crept closer to Alex's mouth. He saw a piece of chicken in his mouth and carefully dislodged it. The food fell to the floor and Alex was revitalized. He picked his head up from the cold glass table, confused. What happened? he sighed. Buster tilted his head, meowed, and flicked his tail. Before Alex could get his bearings, the phone rang once again. Yes, he said cautiously. I think we've done it, Alex, his lawyer announced cheerfully. That surveillance video is undeniable. 
Wait, what video? The video you sent to the office. It clearly shows Vincent leaving with the contents of your office. The documents, the prototypes, everything. It's all on video. Alex paused and looked at Buster, smiling. Well, that's great. When can we bring this to court? I have a hearing scheduled for next week. I'll get you the details soon. Thank you. I'll see you then. A week passed, and Alex appeared in court to the surprise of Vincent, who didn't stand a chance against the evidence. He was forced to relinquish his assets to Alex, leaving him with nothing. With Alex's newly found success, he was able to live out the rest of his life comfortably and happily. Now reflecting back on my story, I initially wanted to utilize the Puss in Boots narrative structure with the animal helper who is assisting the main character in order to become successful, rich, etc. And I also wanted it to surround a character who has kind of ran out of luck and they feel like they've gotten the short end of the stick, which is really similar to Puss in Boots. And I wanted to do it in sort of something more familiar to me. Like, I'm, I'm a business major, and I, I kind of think about, like, businesses and business structure and boring things like that, but I wanted to kind of put it in that context of, like, a business relationship gone wrong. After thinking this through, I didn't feel like there was enough setbacks within the Puss in Boots narrative structure to, in order to, like, stand on its own in the modern context. So I wanted to weave in the Snow White tale and a few of the elements and archetypes within that. And I used the physical attributes of Snow White because it's not really described in Puss in Boots. So I'm kind of putting the parts that are missing from each tale or the elements that I wanted from each tale and just kind of putting them together and putting it into that modern context. So as I said, the main character, Alex, has the physical attributes uh, associated with Snow White, the dark hair color, the pale skin. And instead of the evil stepmother, I wanted to use a kind of vindictive co-worker, which is what uh, Vincent embodies within my story. And I thought that that really gave more depth to the story that I created, because on its own, Puss in Boots doesn't have a lot of depth. It's kind of puss carrying the narrative by himself while like there's no other outside conflict really so i wanted to utilize that i also wanted the element of the poisoned apple to be introduced so i kind of tried to use it in the most realistic sense like food poisoning or something like that where the villain is affecting the story more so than like in puss in boots where there's not really a evil character actively trying to stop the flow of the story. And I also wanted to do a little bit of play on the glass coffin archetype. Uh, instead of it being like a, a glass coffin, I had him collapse onto the glass coffee table. I, I just thought that would, be, would have been more realistic and appropriate because Alex doesn't really have a lot of other relationships other than his cat and his lawyer within the story. So I felt that there wouldn't be like the seven dwarves burying him. Instead, there would be just him collapsing onto the this representation of the original Snow White story.
So those are all the elements that I chose to pick out and uh, bring together to make this story. The influences from Puss in Boots as well as Snow White. From the beginning, I wanted to put in the modern context because that was kind of one of the options for this assignment. So I felt that those two were two that I could play with in the best sense in the modern context. This has been my Write Yourself Into a Story episode and reflection. Thank you, and signing off. Aria awoke lazily, eyes still shut, caught between those last moments of sleep and the unwelcome start of the day. It took her a moment to realize that something wasn't quite right. It was a warm and gentle pressure on her lips, almost like... She snapped her eyes open and saw him. What the fuck? She screamed at the top of her lungs. The strange man who had been kissing her as she slept stumbled backwards and fell flat on his back on the mossy ground. Wait, mossy ground? Where am I? asked Arya frantically as she realized that she was not only outside, but in the middle of a vast forest. She leapt out of the glass coffin that she had been sleeping in for some reason, looked down, and realized that she was dressed in an elegant blue and yellow gown. What is going on? Arya yelled. It was at this point that she noticed she was surrounded by several small men. Er, well, miss, began the tallest of the dwarves rather slowly. You see, you were cursed by the wicked queen, and this fine young prince has saved you. You will go with him to the castle to be wed. Oh, hell no, Arya continued her yelling. There is no fucking way I went to sleep in my dorm room last night, and now I'm motherfucking Snow White. Just no. Dorm room, the dwarves chimed curiously in unison. What's a dorm room? Never mind, snapped Arya. I gotta get out of here. How do I get home? Well, madam, you are to live with the prince in the great castle now, continued the tallest dwarf. He must be the leader, mused Arya. You can hop atop his horse and be on your way, he said. So you expect me to go off with the stranger who was assaulting me in my sleep? Arya scoffed at the congregation of tiny men. You're all crazy. Hey! The prince decided that now would be a good time to chime in. I was only doing what I'm supposed to do. You're the one who refuses to cooperate. He had a stupid sneer on his stupid face. Arya hated him already. I just want to go home. I don't want to live with you in some crabby castle. I don't want to be a princess. I just want to make it through the end of the semester without dropping out to become a stripper. Arya was beginning to panic. It was finally hitting her that she was in a completely strange place with people who were acting like she belonged there, like they knew her. Okay, Arya, she thought to herself. You just have to think. You can find a way to fix this. Maybe it is all a dream, and you just have to wake up. Pulling herself out of her own thoughts, she took a good, hard look at the people standing around her. It was clear by the incredulous expressions on everyone's faces that they had no idea what she had been talking about, or why she was so upset. Look, she sighed, say for a moment that I accept this whole crazy fairy tale thing. Is there anyone around who might be able to help me find my way home? She was met with a heavy silence, and she felt the thin shreds of hope that she had managed to muster slowly begin to fade away. Well, the mirror might know, replied the prince rather slowly, snapping Arya back out of her growing despair. The mirror? Arya's eyes narrowed. 
as in mirror mirror on the wall who's the fairest of them all magic mirror yes that's the one how is a mirror going to help me get home aria could feel her hands shaking and her voice beginning to crack she wouldn't be able to keep herself together for much longer miss the mirror is one of the most knowledgeable beings in the land started off the lead dwarf he was a powerful warlock before his aggrieved mistress trapped him in the mirror he sees all that happens here he very well may have a solution for you although any other young maiden would be glad to have this fine prince as her husband the dwarf ended on somewhat chastising note that Arya did not appreciate well let one of them have him then she snapped again at the dwarf then she turned to the prince you she barked take me to this mirror she hopped on the back of the prince's mighty steed and they rode off together she barely acknowledged him throughout the ride. At one point, he asked her why she didn't want to marry him. Well, first of all, I don't even know you, Arya began. Second, I want to go home. Third, I don't even like guys. I like girls. How strange, muttered the prince. He apparently had never met a lesbian before. After several hours of annoyed silence between the two of them, they finally arrived at the evil queen's castle. The prince had told her that the mirror was in the room at the top of the tallest tower. How cliche. Beware of the evil queen, warned the prince. She is despicable and will stop at nothing to put an end to you. Thanks, laughed Arya. I think I'll manage. She climbed down off the horse and began to walk over to the large castle doors. She pushed through the front and opened up onto a long hallway. The hallway led to a spiral staircase. Arya began to climb. She climbed and climbed until she reached the top of the tallest tower. The evil queen was waiting for her. Behind her was the door to the room. Aha! The queen exclaimed. So you found a way to beat my poison. Well, you should not have returned here, for now I will end you. Yeah, yeah, save it, lady. The prince already told me. Arya rolled her eyes at the queen, who looked about as taken aback as anyone could ever look. You don't like me because I'm the fairest in the land and I'm stealing all your thunder, right? Well, you're in luck because I don't want to be in this land anymore. I want to go home. Arya pushed past the queen and into the room that contained the mirror. She locked the door behind her so the queen could not disturb her. Mirror, mirror on the wall. How the fuck do I get home? Arya raised her voice at the end. She had had just about enough of this fairy tale nonsense. Ah, Snow White, exclaimed the mirror. Except you are not the true Snow White, are you? You just awoke here today. Exactly, Arya breathed a sigh of relief. At least someone knew what was up. I just want to go home. To get home is simple, the mirror stated with a sort of haughty attitude. You just have to go back to sleep, and when you wake up, you'll be in your proper world. That's it? Arya was now furious. She could have been home by now. Yes, said the mirror. Arya threw open the doors to the room. The evil queen was still waiting for her. Can you put me into a deep sleep? asked Arya. Of course I can, replied the queen, and I will do just that now, so that I may be the fairest in the land. And with that, the queen pointed a crooked black staff at Arya. The end glowed bright green. Arya felt herself begin to grow sleepy. Her legs gave out from underneath her and her body crumpled to the floor. Wasn't there supposed to be an apple? Arya thought to herself. It was the last thing in her mind before she drifted off to sleep. Beep, 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 beep. Arya awoke to the sound of her alarm going off. She looked down and saw her own bed her own sheets, her own pajamas. 
Wow, what a strange dream, she said to herself. I decided to go this route with the story because I always found it kind of hilarious how fairy tales end up, just how the story goes. It always seems sort of ridiculous to me. So I thought it would be interesting to take someone who is from our modern world and put them right in the middle of the fairy tale world. No one else has changed. Everyone else is following their standard fairy tale rules. But this one person is kind of just like, what the heck is going on? And I think that's pretty funny. And that's why I wanted to do that with this story. I mean, because even the dwarves and the prince, they get sort of an attitude with her because she she doesn't want to follow the rules of the fairy tale. And so like the... The lead dwarf, for example, is kind of passive-aggressive. He's kind of just like, what's wrong with you? Why don't you want to marry this prince? And Arya is just like, well, I don't know this guy. And he was just kind of like assaulting me in my sleep. I don't want to be a part of any of this. And I don't know. The dwarves just kind of give her a lot of grief for it, but in a very passive-aggressive way. And I I think that's pretty funny. Um, The prince, too. I mean, I kind of stuck with the archetype of the... The prince being kind of a fool or kind of a a flat character like there's not really much to him he's kind of an entitled prick like he just wants the princess and he doesn't really care about what she wants i mean at least he was decent enough to take her to the queen's castle to get her home again but i mean he kind of had a attitude the whole time about it and then her interaction with the evil queen is kind of my favorite because I mean the evil queen is sticking to her same archetype where she's just trying to be despicable and ruin things for the princess but I mean in this case the princess and the queen had the same goal Arya doesn't want to be there anymore and the queen wants to be the fairest in the land so without the queen even really realizing it Arya uses that to her advantage and allows the queen to put her into a sleep again so that she can get home um i think just the way that Arya dismissed all of the the standard archetypes that you would see in a fairy tale just made the whole thing kind of enjoyable and just pretty funny to write and funny to read so i don't know that's those that was really why i made those decisions i just wanted it to be kind of like a drawing attention to how ridiculous some of these stories are and how people just kind of accept that as like oh yeah that's just how fairy tales are but it's just kind of like why like why why does the princess need to be saved by a prince and then why does she then obligated to marry him afterwards after knowing him for like five minutes why can't it just be like oh thanks for helping me out okay maybe we can get coffee sometime or I'll see you later you're kind of a jerk otherwise like Stuff like that. I just never, I always thought that was kind of dumb. Even as a kid, I was like, why, why is she marrying him now? She doesn't even know him. What if she doesn't like him? So I just kind of wanted to explore that a little bit more with my story. My name's Maddie, and this was my Write Yourself Into the Story assignment. Hi, this is Tate LaCasse, and today I am recording my Write Yourself Into the Story podcast. So let's jump into it. Once upon a time, there was a young girl named Kylie. Kylie was a tall, slim, gorgeous girl with long, curly brown hair and gorgeous green eyes. 
She had extremely pale skin. No matter how much she tanned it, it was impossible for her to get darker. Kylie loved sports, her favorite being baseball. She also loved being outside and camping and hiking. When Kylie was younger, her parents got into a car accident and passed away. Ever since the accident, she's been living with her uncle and two stepbrothers. They loved her very much and took great care of her. For her whole life, Kylie was somewhat of a tomboy. She always hung out with her brothers and their friends and did not have any girlfriends. When she went to school, she was bullied a lot because she had no girlfriends. People would call her Kyle instead of Kylie. However, Kylie was perfectly happy with the way she was and continued to hang out with her brothers. One day, Kylie's uncle became very sick. He knew that he was not going to live for much longer, so he had an important conversation with Kylie. He said, Kylie, I am not going to be around for much longer. Your parents told me to tell you something very important when the right time comes. This is the time. You have to find a husband after I die. There has to be someone to take care of you. You cannot rely on your brothers your entire life. Find a boy you love and that will take care of you the rest of your life. A few days later, her uncle passed away. Kylie and her stepbrothers were very sad. However, they knew they had to keep moving and remember him and everything they did. As the siblings finished high school, it was clear that everyone was going in different directions. One of her brothers graduated a year before her and moved away to college. She kept remembering what her uncle said and knew she needed to find a boyfriend before she graduated. By the time Kylie and her other brother reached their senior year in high school, time was running out. Her brother got a girlfriend and started spending all of his time with her. Even though Kylie really liked his girlfriend, she had a hard time not feeling lonely. Every day, she would wake up alone in the house and drive to school by herself. She would sit through the whole eight hours of school silent, ate lunch by herself, and then go home and spend the rest of the day silent and lonely. Kylie knew she could not live like this for the rest of her life. She knew that she needed to meet a boy so that she would no longer be lonely. <clears throat> the next day, when Kylie went to school, she decided to talk to a boy in her English class. Hi, I'm Kylie. What's your name? Right as Kylie said this, the boy, to the boy, a very pretty girl named Bruja walked up on them. What do you think you're doing talking to my boyfriend? Bruja exclaimed. Kylie said, I am so sorry, and ran out of the room in tears. She sat in the bathroom for the rest of the day crying because she was so embarrassed. When it reached the end of the school day, she jumped in her car and sped home. At home, her brother was waiting for her. Kylie, why did I not see you at school today, and why do you look so upset? Kylie responded, I was trying to talk to this boy in my English class today, and it turns out he was Bruja's boyfriend, and she embarrassed me in front of the entire class. Kylie, why were you talking to the boy in the first place? Right before Uncle Bill died, he told me that my parents' wish for me was to find a boyfriend so that I could have someone to take care of me the rest of my life. Kylie, the right person will come along, and for now, don't be embarrassed. Everyone knows Bruja is just an evil witch anyways. Yeah, I guess so, said Kylie, and walked up to her room where she spent the rest of the night. The next day, when Kylie went to school, she had a bad feeling in her stomach. The first person she saw was Bruja. Bruja was wearing an all-black and looked as evil as ever. She was sitting on a bench with the boy from Kylie's English class, and they had a huge basket of red apples sitting in front of them. Hey, Kylie, yelled Bruja. Want an apple? I picked them from my backyard this morning. No, thank you, mumbled Kylie. The boy whispered to Bruja, stop, this is a bad idea. Once again, Bruja yelled, Kylie, take an apple, you will love it. Kylie gave in and snatched an apple and ran into the building. When she went inside, a girl she had never seen came up to her. Follow me right now, said the mysterious girl. Why? What? Where? Who are you? I've been sent to protect you. The two girls walked rapidly down the basement of the school and hid in a closet. By the time they got there, Kylie was more confused than ever. Allow me to formally introduce myself. I... 
am Anne. I work for a company called CIF that protects people like you. You are a Snow White, which is very rare. That is why you have such pale skin. You have recently decided that you need to find your Prince Charming, but you chose the wrong boy. Ruha is an evil witch that is notorious for killing anyone that talks to her boyfriend, which is the boy in your English class. Therefore, I am here to act as your protector and friend. Um, okay, but I'm still confused. I need to get to class. Kylie ran back upstairs to science class and thought about what had just happened. She couldn't believe that Anne had been watching her and knew so much about her. She was even more embarrassed that she talked to the boy in her English class in the first place. After school that day, she drove home. When she got home, her brother and his girlfriend were sitting in the kitchen, chatting excitedly. Kylie, you need to start getting ready, they said. For what? Don't you know what day it is? Monday? Yes, but it's a Halloween ball tonight. Oh, shoot. I totally forgot, but I don't think I'm going to go. I'm scared of Ruha and her boyfriend. Oh, come on, Kylie. That evil witch Ruha can't do anything to you. So go get ready. Kylie decided that her brother was right, so she decided she deserved a new or deserved a night out. So she got ready for the ball and drove with her brother and his girlfriend. Once she got there, Kylie headed straight to the corner where the punch bowl was. There was a delicious-looking apple punch, so Kylie helped herself to a plentiful cup. Just as she put it up to her mouth, Anne appeared and knocked it out of her hands. Kylie, you know better than to drink anything with apples. Oh no, I wanted to think. Oh no, I wanted to think that all of this was just made up in my head. I don't want to be different. But Kylie, you are and you have to accept it. Be careful. Ruha is trying to poison you. Kylie stormed off to the bathroom in tears because everyone was looking at her and Anne. The last thing she wanted to be was different. The boy from English had followed her without her knowing. Hey Kylie, he said, are you okay? Please don't talk to me. Ruha can't see. I don't care about her. I know what she is trying to do to you. It's okay. Please just leave me alone. No, Kylie, I want to tell you something. What? mumbled Kylie. I think you are very pretty, and I've wanted to tell you this for a long time. And then he leaned in for a kiss. Kylie kissed him back, but only for a few seconds, and then pulled away. I can't do this. Ruha will kill me if she finds out. Just as Kylie said that she saw Ruha out of the corner of her eye. She was coming towards her and looked angrier than ever. How dare you kiss my boyfriend? I'm going to kill you! yelled Ruha in front of the entire Halloween dance. Kylie passed out. She was so scared, and the next thing she knew, she was outside laying in Anne's arms. Am I dead, Anne? Did Ruha kill me? No, Kylie. You are okay. I saved you. Thank you, Anne. You are so kind. Kylie got up to go find her brother to go home. Wait, Kylie, there's something else I need to tell you. Kylie turned around to face Anne. I wasn't sent here by the CIF. I was a friend of your parents. We all used to work together because they had special qualities just like you. Just before they died, I promised them I would always look after you, and I know your uncle told you you needed to find a boyfriend to be happy, but that is not true. I know your mom wanted you to live your life happily and find love in the people around you. I want you to be your, to be yourself and be with your brother and girlfriends. A boy will come when the time is right. There's no need for a Prince Charming now. Kylie burst into tears. I always had a feeling I didn't need a Prince Charming. Thank you, Anne. Kylie went home that night and went to bed. The next day when she woke up, her skin was darker and her lips had faded. She went to school and a group of fun, nice girls invited her to lunch with them. Her brother came home for a, for a surprise visit from college. It was in this moment that Kylie realized she didn't need to find her Prince Charming and all she needed was her friends and family. Okay, so that was my fairy tale. 
Um, I really enjoyed this assignment because I felt like it was really a good way to wrap up everything we learned in English 104 this term. So the main thing that I wanted to focus on when writing this fairy tale was breaking the archetypes that I've spent all term analyzing. Um, my main archetype was pretty much just female empowerment and women realizing that they don't need a prince charming and how modern fairy tales have been changed and re rewritten to reflect modern day ideas of um, female empowerment and girls are just as strong with girlfriends and they don't need any prince charmings. Um, I talked about this a lot in our Little Mermaid podcast when we analyze movies such as like Aquamarine and the most recent Little Mermaid. So I just, I knew I wanted my story to be like that, but also incorporate a lot of ideas from indexing. Um, I incorporated the idea of the main character, Kylie, being um, a Snow White, having pale skin, red lips, can't eat apples, just like the uh, main character, Sloan, in indexing. And I also wanted to just include some, like, cultural background. I named the evil witch Ruha because that is evil witch in Spanish, which I just kind of thought was, like, a kind of cool twist to add in there. Um, so, yeah, overall, I just wanted to break the archetype of females having to find a Prince Charming, which in my fairy tale at the end, Kylie realizes that she is in no hurry, even though that was her parents' wish for her. She knows that she just needs her girlfriends and has her brothers. Um, but yeah, so I thought this assignment was just really cool because it was a really nice way to just end the term and show all that I've learned. So thank you so much for listening. Archetypes and Anarchy is produced by me, Courtney Floyd, and researched and written by my spring 2018 Introduction to Fiction students at the University of Oregon. Our theme music is Music Box by The Underscore Orchestra, and our closing music is Wolf, It's Really Rather Rad by High Arches, both of which are available under a Creative Commons license at the Free Music Archive. The sound of the wolf that lives in the woods That comes to my back door from time to time Shake the hand of the sun that burns above Reaches down over everyone Got your jackal and heart, your monster inside Pouring water over your fire I incur lost a soul, then I need to go Back into the woods, I'm told Not a single living thing needs to be left out You can find in the garden what's missing in yourself There's a spider web that connects heads Connected by the number nine can you think in visions and breathe in rhythms? Dream an ocean over your lips. It brings a deeper meaning, a powerful feeling. Brings us the myths we're told. And it's only clean water that supports the things that we're trying to grow. 
Not a single living cell needs to be left out. You can find in the garden what's missing in yourself. Have you seen the way the speaker makes a pattern in the sand? When the frequency is just right, oh man, it's really rather rare. 